So here is the big question. How do entrepreneurs like us, who started sales or direct selling or network marketing, how did we start our journey but now feel stuck, feel like we're struggling or we can't level up to where we want to be, where we know we can be? How do we break through and prove everybody wrong? Everybody wrong. Show ourselves that we are successful and show ourselves that we can win. That is the big question. And this is the podcast that will give you the answers. My name is Lisa Hawker, and this is Direct AF Sales. Good morning. I am really happy that we finally connected. Yes. Um, today, <laughs> today's show, we have the one and only Emily Frizzella. You are a, an incredible entrepreneur. You're a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And she started her very first brick and mortar at the age of 20, which is unbelievable. <laughs> you have another company that you founded. It's called the Paper and Plan Company, and I'm obsessed yes. with it. Thank obsessed. you so much. Um, you published not one, but two best-selling cookbooks, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Best-selling author of The Fresh Farmhouse Kitchen, which I love, and The Saint's Plate and The Sinner's Dinner, which I need to get. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll send you one of those. <laughs> you created the Fit Home and Health Company, and you co-host the Curious Me podcast. And if that weren't enough, you're the founder of the Women in Business Workshop, which I definitely want to get into with you because I'm dying for you to do another one. And I've got a bunch of gals that want to come with. Um, COO, Chief Operating Officer of 44-7 Media and the Arate Syndicate. You are <laughs> fucking unbelievably busy. <laughs> Yet you have the time, you carve out the time and you have the discipline to do 75 hard. You look absolutely incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah, of course. You're Your so sweet. Coach. No, it's all, this is your bio. Sis, so. <laughs> I know, but it always sounds weird. Like whenever, you know, people ask for your bio, like, oh, here it is. And then like typed up, it looks short. And then people start getting like, man, this, this is like, sounds like a lot. I need to, I need to, you know, niche this down just a little bit. Come, you know, make it a little bit more compact. <laughs> you know what? It, it just shows how, um, how busy people get shit done. Yeah. Right? The busier yeah. you are and not busy. And when I mean busy, I don't mean busy, like doing bullshit. No, it's about being, yeah, effective, being effective. Productive. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do it all? I plan. I use the paper and plan code. <laughs> so, um, no, I just, I plan it all. And I have always used a method that I call priorities and once to prioritize what I'm doing in my life, what happens in the business, what happens in my personal life all that stuff. And I use this as it's really kind of, a, you know, like my operations Bible, if you will, on how I run my daily routine. Because the thing is, is that I say a routine, but it's anything but, you know, things change all the time. And the more things that I take on and get involved in, you know, the more, um, the, the more uh, fuzzy gray area my routine has. The only routine I have that's, you know, set in stone is my morning and my night routine. But during the day, it varies. So it's really important for me to write things down. Um, I set a lot of reminders on my phone. And it's the thing is, is that it sounds, you know, like everything you said is a lot. And it is like every day is chaotic. But the thing is, it's controlled chaos because I know I'm in control of my time. And it's something that I learned as I've gotten older of, you know, not 
over committing myself, allowing myself space to just be because I got to a point where I was so busy and I'm not saying all the productive busy, I was productive, but then I was also doing busy work. And what happened was, is that I became bitter and resentful towards myself for overscheduling things. I'm like, I'd be all excited to do it. And then the day comes, I'm like, God, I don't feel like this. I just, I need to do this, this, this instead. So I kind of just created like a rule for myself as far as like three, like um, commitments a day and that's it. So I'll do three calls. You know, it's maybe three interviews, three coaching calls, three meetings, something like that. Three things that involve my time. And I try to always book those back to back. Like today, mine are three in a row. And I do that because that way it allows me the rest of the day to get all the other work done in all the other companies that I'm either, that I either own or that I operate. So it just allows me to do that. So I kind of cluster my time, if you will. So talk to me about how you got started in, in your entrepreneurial journey. Let's go back to the beginning. Did you grow yeah. up in, a, in a, you grew up in Missouri? Yes. And you're, you were originally a farm girl, right? Yep. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I grew up at the beginning. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm um, about an hour from where we live now. And my dad was an entrepreneur. He's um, was, he owned trucking companies and brokerage firms my entire life. He was successful in what he did. And I saw firsthand the life that entrepreneurship could provide. And, you know, we didn't, you know, we weren't living like some lavish lifestyle, but we, you know, we lived very comfortably and I saw the hard work that it took to do that. It wasn't just, I saw my dad come and go a nine to five. And then, you know, we were able to, you know, be in all the special like sports clubs we were in and go to, you know, do all the things that we were able to do. I saw him get up at the crack of dawn, go feed the cattle, work on the farm, come home. He would get ready. He would drive to his office, which was an hour and 20 minutes away because he needed to be in the heart of St. Louis for what he did. So we drive an hour and 20 minutes to his office, work all day, drive an hour and 20 minutes back home, eat dinner, and then go back out on the farm and work till 10 o'clock and then get up and do it again the next day. So I saw this and my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom, took care of my sisters and myself. And um, I just have always been, you know, pulled towards that because I liked the idea of, even though he worked a lot, I liked the idea that, you know, he could do what he wanted to do is meaning he was in control. He called the shots. He got to, you know, create the business and build it and create the culture. And I've, it's just something that I just, I, I never even entertained really anything else. I just always knew that like, okay, this is what I want. So um, at uh, 19, I bought my first house and redid that to kind of get myself, you know, settled. And then at 20, I bought my first brick and mortar building and then the property and the storage unit that was behind it. And I bought that. And, you know, mind you, I, people say, well, how did you afford that at a young age? I'd worked since I was 14 and I was working two jobs. I play volleyball. I had practiced, you know, two hours after school, but then I would waitress or I worked at a golf course. And um, I liked waitressing. I would always do that on the weekends if I didn't have a volleyball tournament because I could calculate I was making tips. I was making the most tips on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. So I'd waitress those days and I would work at the golf course the other days. And I did that to save knowing I wanted to have my own business and buy my own house. So at 20, I launched this and, um, you know, lots of learning because at 20, you have an ego, you think you can't do wrong, you know, everything. And there was, um, to say bumps in the road is an understatement. It was more like potholes of like the grand Canyon size that I had to go through and work through, but it was all such a learning curve. And then, um, I decided to sell my business and move to St. Louis 
So I put my business up for sale one day and it sold three hours later. And then I um, got a job here in St. Louis and I knew that I still want to be an entrepreneur. I was like, this isn't, I loved the company that I worked for and the people that were there and what I did, but it was still in my heart, like I've got to do my own thing. And so I worked for someone else for probably about five or six years. And then I started writing my cookbook and then, you know, was quit my job to devote myself to that and building my fit home and health brand full time. And then um, a year after my, I quit my job, then that's when my first cookbook launched and it just kind of been up from there. Wow. Incredible. What would you say was the hardest that first, you know, or second lesson that you learned through that first brick and mortar? What was your worst experience, if you will? It was not asking for help. So, you know, it's, it's again, I think it's still not even just because I was 20. I feel like that's a big problem with all entrepreneurs um, or just people in general is not asking for help. You know, why didn't I ask this man, meaning my dad, who had been successful in all of his endeavors and a new business inside and out. He was, I, I was, you know, why didn't I ask him for help or, you know, control this? Like I didn't, I understood nothing, you know, like in college, you take business management, marketing, like it's I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but that taught me literally nothing, like nothing at all. It is not real world application. And um, I just wish I would ask him for help because I got myself in some trouble financially because I, you know, didn't understand terms. I didn't understand, you know, um, cash flow management and things like that. I had a beautiful store with tons of inventory. It was all like one of a kind things. I sourced like the best things I could find. And I wanted, cause I wanted to offer something that our town didn't have. And it was a small town. You couldn't even buy a pair of socks in my town, truly. And you, you can now from a, the dollar store, but that's it. There's nothing really there. And um, so I wish I would ask for help more um, and probably just took it a little bit slower and not tried to, cause I, I heavily held on to the fake it till you make it um, saying we always hear. So my quote, faking it was having all this beautiful inventory. And really I was checking the bank account, you know, like calling, cause this is before online banking or anything like that. You had to wait to get your bank statements at the end of the month. And I would like call the bank to check, check my funds and stuff. And then I got myself into financial trouble because I, you know, didn't do online banking and that wasn't an option. And I got myself buried and thought I had a lot more money than I did. And uh, my employees checks bounced and it was just a huge issue. So luckily I was a good saver. I was good personally financially with savings. So I was able to pump some of that into the company, but yeah, probably just asking for help and humbling myself would be the two biggest lessons. So do you think, I think one of the reasons, I think the main reason people don't ask for help is because they feel shame and shame. I think along with jealousy or is just the worst emotion that you could feel. Mm-hmm. It's crippling. What mm-hmm. do you think? What do you think it was? I think, I think it's more so that they're afraid to feel stupid because here you're trying to do your own thing mm-hmm. and you're basically creating something that's going to provide a life for you and your family. And if you don't know the answer to it, it makes you feel, you know, feel stupid. Like, okay, well, I can't do this. And you have these self-doubts instead of just saying like, hey, I want to work with this company, but they have terms like this, but my cash flow is this. What do you think I should do? Instead of just asking for help, because the thing is that, you know, obviously, yes, we learn from our mistakes, but if you're able to ask others and they can kind of soften that, that raw edge of that mistake, that's going to help you tremendously. So I think it, you know, yeah, like you said, like shame. And I think it's this embarrassment. You know, nobody's going to know anything. The thing is, is that in entrepreneurship, every single thing is unique. It's just like people's personalities. Everybody has their little quirks and things you learn about them as you go along. 
that's how entrepreneurship is. There's not a cookie cutter thing. It's yes, we all know this, the same sh- shit of, you know, you got to have this, you got to pay your taxes and you got to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's all the little nuances that come along with it and not any single one is exactly the same. Yeah, it's so, and and that's one of the things that I love so much about the R-Taste Syndicate, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about what that is and, and how that supports sure. being humble and saying, I don't know everything and I yeah. need help. Yeah. So it is a group of entrepreneurs that range all ages, all type of industries. It was founded by my husband, Andy Versella, and his business partner, Ed Milette. They started it. Um, we're in our, it's three and a half years in, and it was started from a speaking engagement they were doing. And they didn't like that everybody was trying to just sell everybody on a program or a course or this or that to learn. And they were like, you know what, let's do something different. Let's actually provide this this service for people where they can learn and meet entrepreneurs. And we always say the power of RT Syndicate is in the network with the people. So it's the it's brought people together from all over the world that can collaborate, can talk, can discuss, can become business partners, can do all this stuff together and solve each other's problems and help. And then Ed and Andy, both very accomplished entrepreneurs, can share with them lessons and what they need to do and kind of give them the 10,000 foot view. And then they're, you know, further down the road than, you know, some of the people in the group. So they're able to share with them experiences and how to basically, like I said, soften that you know, that sharp corner of entrepreneurship for them and be, you know, serve as mentors for this group. So it's just absolutely wonderful. It just people that want to change the world. Everybody's so aligned and they just, they want to do the right thing. They want to grow their businesses, provide, give back to their community. It's just such a solid, solid group of people. And you're heavily involved in that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, I am. You are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun though. I enjoy it. Like I absolutely love it. Um, it's, I've met some really cool people through that and formed a ton of friendships um, through the people that are in the Arte Syndicate. Because it's, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, they feel alone. They feel like they can't talk or vent or share with others because let's say they're, you know, their friend group that are great people, but they're not entrepreneurs. They can't always understand what's going on. So sometimes I feel entrepreneurs feel alone or isolated because they, they don't have people that understand or they can't be uh, is transparent because, you know, entrepreneurs would go through struggles. It's like a roller coaster. It's up and down constantly. And it's so helpful and reassuring for you to be able to share these struggles, hardships, or successes with other people that have also experienced that and know that, okay, you're in a low right now, but your next high point is coming. And if you talk to a, you know people that aren't entrepreneurs, they think when you say low, they immediately think like, oh my gosh, you're going out of business. You're this or that. And that's not it. It's just, you know, it, it's just part of the deal with it. So yeah, I do. I think it's a special language and a yes. special way, a unique way of living your life. And absolutely. And I find, and I don't know about you, I'm sure this is the case and you'll, you'll keep me, you know, you'll let me know about how your time is going. You <laughs> <laughs> Cut me off when I need to stop. But um, do you surround yourself with a lot of like-minded women? Is that one of the reasons why you started your women in business? And when do we get to Yeah. So that's a hundred percent of the reason why I started it because, um, anybody that follows me on social media knows that I'm not like some fluffy woo woo, like glitter and feathers type of girl. It's more, I'm more like a masculine energy, if you will. And I just couldn't connect with women that were like that. They're, they're great people, but as far as actually business operations, like 
this is unpopular opinion, I guess, but I'm not into affirmations and things like that. I don't do anything like that. I just want to get in, get gritty and get the work done. And I wanted to find other women that were like that, that, you know, well, you're able to be completely free yourself. And they were on the same, um, you know, wavelength as you and mindset. And so I decided I was telling Andy when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start this workshop. I'm going to do one, see how it goes, see if there's any like, you know, need for it or demand for it. And, um, I booked the hotel, the venue for it. And I was like, well, I'll just do 35 tickets that way. The first one I'll ever do, if it sucks, it sucks. And it was only 35 people or if it goes good. Okay. Then we can grow from there. So it was kind of like my little like beta test, if you will. And I announced it. I put the tickets up for sale, I believe about four months before, because it's, if you've ever been to a women business workshop, there's a lot of like details that go into it for the ladies. So I have to know who's coming far in advance to get things made and created and things like that. I put the tickets up for sale and they sold out. And I think it was less than two minutes. And I was like, Okay, oh, wait a second. This, this, is, this is actually like something then. And so uh, actually, I think it was a minute and 17 seconds actually now because I think I shared it on my story and I remember typing that. Um, so I was like, okay, this is something. And, you know, when you sell tickets publicly, you can't vet the people. You don't know who you're going to get. And that was, a, that was highly a concern of mine. And I was like, I just hope there's no cancers in the group, meaning gossipy girls, drama, all that kind of stuff. And I met all the ladies that day and I was like, wow, they are all so cool. Like there was not a single cancer in the entire group. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I just got lucky because it's only 35 people. And I remember calling Andy the first night because I held it here and they're held in St. Louis here, but I stay at the hotel because there's so much going on and everything. And I called him um, after the first night. I go, I know this sounds so weird, but this is like a movie, how well everybody is getting along and how it's going. And he was like, that's awesome. And so um, I was like, okay, well, you know, let's do this again and try a bigger group. So then I went up to 55 the next year, still such a solid group of ladies. And then this last year we had 76 women there and I just do it once a year for now. Um, I was going to do it a couple more times a year, but with, you know, the COVID and things like that, it was, it's kind of, you know, posed a little bit of a issue for ladies wanting to come in now. And then I also have to balance my get togethers with all the RTA things and things like that. So, um, this next year it's coming, it's already booked, um, or the venues booked tickets are not on sale yet, but it's uh, going to be the, the first weekend in June. And it's, I mean, it's already like, I've got speakers lined up. Everything's already ready to roll. Um, we'll be putting tickets <laughs> up for sale probably in March. All right. Set one aside for me. Set a couple <laughs> aside for me and my girls. <laughs> There's a bunch yeah, of RFK women um, that I'm friends with who uh-huh. were at um, uh, another event in Montana the same weekend and we had already. Oh, that. gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, there's yeah. no way I'm missing this one. First, yeah, I hope you can make it. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, events are a great way to <clears throat> connect with like-minded people, in this case, all women. Yeah. And and it is very rare for um, women like us to mm-hmm. find each other who aren't yeah. spoons. <laughs> right. And that's the thing is like, I wanted women that I could, you can talk about like all the shit, the gritty, the dark, the, 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 just the shit of entrepreneur, but you could talk about like, where you get your hair done? What kind of lip gloss is that? You can still have the like, little girl talk, but you can, you know, the girls talk, but you can also have this like, 
Hey, let's like fucking dominate. You know what I mean? So it was just like the perfect happy medium. You know, it's, it's just, I don't know. I just love all the, and honestly, those girls that are in this group, I talk to all of them on the regular, like constantly. And it's just great because it's like, we form such great friendships where people just love to come and connect and see each other. And we all learn and then we talk. It's just, it's honestly like, I just feel so grateful and fortunate to have these ladies because if let's say there was never a women business event ever again, I've met 75 of the most badass women that are, we're all in each other's corner. It's incredible. And there is something really unique and special about women like us getting together sort of without yeah. the guys and the, yeah. you know, my dick is this big and all because <laughs> there is a lot of that going on too. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is great. Um, no, 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 no. But it's, just, it, it's, it's a different, it's a different, um, it just has a different energy about it, you know? And it's just, it is, it's hard to explain and I could rattle on about it forever, but it's just, it's just different. And it feels like it sounds so cheesy, but it's like, it feels like this is where you were meant to be and where you're, you belong at. You know what I mean? Because we all know that from that point, when we meet all these ladies, we're all going to elevate our own businesses because we, nobody keeps secrets from each other. It's like, Hey, who do you use for this? Who is your web girl? Who is, who does this? Who does your ads? Who does this? And we all share that. And the thing is, is that we use such a great referral base. And the thing is, is that with all the referral bases that we use and we all start doing our business there, the companies that we're doing business with know like, Hey, I got to serve these 23 ladies that are using my company from this one group. Well, because if I mess up with one, I'm going to lose all of them. And so it's pretty remarkable that, you know, how much, um, it's like, we just get, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's not preferential treatment, but it's like, they know like, you know, Hey, I got to do it right. So it's great referrals. It's just wonderful. Well, and it helps you grow bigger. So because you Huge. don't have to spend time finding out who the best person is, who does this, you already know yep. if this person trusts them, I can trust them. They're going to do a good job. And Absolutely. Eliminated a whole bunch of time. So absolutely. Let, let me ask you about, I don't know how much time we have, but I know oh, I'm good. I've got like 20 minute, more minutes. Okay, so. great. So great, we're good. Great, great. So I have a theory that <clears throat> really strong women who build big and do amazing things in life and have this really, really strong work ethic, which you clearly do. And I know I have, mm-hmm. um, who are relentless in the pursuit of their own personal development, relentless in pursuit of seeing how big they can grow something right? Mm-hmm. I feel that their dad and or their mom instilled in them at a really young age, that work ethic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I know that you were indicating earlier that you saw that your, your dad did all this stuff and he had a strong work ethic. Did you get to go with him to that office an hour and 20 minutes away in the city? Um, did he bring you along? Did he kind of like let you shadow him a bit? Oh yeah. We did that all the time. It was so much, I mean, we couldn't go during the year, obviously because of school, but in the summertime we would get to go and it was always so fun. Like, I mean, I can remember from the earliest stage where we would be so excited to go to work with dad because even though we were there and we get to sit in on like meetings and walk around the office and see everybody, but we would also take our coloring books because we would make, uh, use the copier there and make copies of our coloring pages and then sell them to kids at school. (laughs) So (laughs) So I was trying to hustle it a little bit, use the free, free printer and ink at the office, but, uh, 
great. Yeah, I, I did see that because, you know, one of the biggest blessing that my parents ever gave me, because my mom was, a, she had a crazy work ethic as well, because she essentially had to take care of us three girls, you know, by herself, because my dad was gone all day. And we were all heavily involved in sports, school activities, you know, a church, everything. And our house was always spotless. And she always looked so nice and put together. And like, it was just, I mean... Honestly, I, I truly, I'm so blessed. Like it's rare nowadays, but I grew up with like, if anybody knows what the Waltons are, I grew up with like, literally like the picture perfect, like all American family, if you will. And, um, so I'm so grateful that for that, but the thing is that they taught me from a very early age that, you know, they were successful, but I am not, you know I mean? It's they, they earned their money. I did not earn that money. So I need to work for myself. That's why I took a job at 14. I didn't have to work. They didn't, you know what I mean? They weren't pushing me to work, but the thing is I knew that I wanted more and I knew I wanted to, and I've always had like this very independent spirit. I knew I wanted to earn my own money because I remember I wanted a pair back then. And it's actually funny because the trend is back around, but Doc Martens were a thing. And back then they were like $150 a pair. And my mom said, no, if you want a pair of shoes that, that that's that price, you have to work for it. And this is when I was a waitress. And I said, okay. And the place I worked at, it was a barbecue joint um, that did wonderful. And I, you know, I would make about a thousand to twelve hundred bucks a weekend in tips. And I was like, okay. And so I went to work one day, and then uh, I remember calling her about two hours into my shift, and I go, "Well, I got enough money now. Can we go to the mall tomorrow before work, and I can get my shoes?" And she was like, "You already made one hundred fifty dollars." I said, "Yes." I go, "This is how I make money in my tips." And she was like, "Okay." And so I got it. So the thing is, like, I love that they still always instilled that in me because it was never this, we'll give you anything you want. It's, you know, or here, have this, have this. They, they never spoiled us. They made us work for it to appreciate what, a, how hard a dollar is to earn. The value of a dollar. Absolutely. Do you think that's being taught today? No, I think um, that is a huge, huge downfall in society now um, that if it's not the, the parents are trying to instill that perhaps, but then when they go out in the real or with their friends or at school or whatever else, it's all being downplayed. That's why I feel that, you know, kids are, they struggle more mentally now. Um, there's, you know, kids don't want to work because they're given everything. You know, I just, that it's just, it's honestly scary. Like I worry about the generations to come because they don't have that work ethic. They don't have that drive. They don't have, you know, and part of this, it is, you know, our education, um, is at fault because I had this conversation two days ago with a girl that works for, uh, works for us. And, you know, you don't learn, like we've all talked about, you don't learn taxes, how to balance a checkbook, how to change your oil, what a, what a mortgage is, what, you know, interest is. You don't learn any of that in school. You're learning trigonometry and long division. And I cannot tell you when I've used that, you know what I mean? But it's like, we're not teaching the basics to these kids. Therefore they're completely unprepared because the world is a lot more brutal now than it used to be. Because back whenever, you know, you and I were kids, there's not social media. There wasn't all this pressure. And the thing is kids, I feel have less confidence now. And with that mixed with social media of all like the filters and all the stuff that people are comparing themselves. Now, these kids are just having such a hard time and they're not always to blame. You know what I mean? People in general, I think, are having a hard time right now uh, yeah. for many reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you said that you played sports and you said that you played volleyball. And I'm assuming that when you played your volleyball, there were no fucking trophy medals. You either oh, no. won it, it or you lost. It was a first place trophy, a second place medal, and, that, and then you were a loser. Yeah. And, and yeah. When, did, when did that change? Why did that change? I don't know. You know, and that's what's so bad is because, you know, there's competition is good. And the thing is, it's 
teaching your kids to take a loss in sports. Okay. They're going to probably throw a tantrum or be mad. But the thing is that's, that should be a driver for them. Like, Hey, you know what? And a lesson for parents to say, you gotta, you go, you gotta work harder. We need to practice more and you gotta, you know, do this and that, and, you know, be alert on the field and all this kind of stuff. And I, it's, it's sad. And actually Andy wrote a book about that. It's called, it's our Otis and Charlie book. It's called play to win. It's about competition is good. Competition favors you. And I, you know, can't help but think if that's why our generation is the way it is. And the next generation is not because everybody is considered a winner there, you know, and that, I think it kind of actually, I'm 39. I feel like it kind of started happening even when I was in high school or junior high kind of getting out is when they started doing the more like everybody's even and stuff. Cause I remember teachers, um, telling me that one of my, my math teacher in, um, what was it? Seventh grade, I guess we had to do a test about, you know, your, how you would write words like 44 and 30, like if you were writing a check, you know what I mean? How you would actually write the actual word number out instead of just the actual um, numeric digit. And I was the only kid in the class that got a hundred percent on it. And, but I studied and I worked hard for it, you know, and she's announced in front of the class, like, Oh, and you know, Emily is the only one that got a hundred on this. And then the kids like clapped for me. And then she goes, actually, you know what? I should have just gave you a 98 since nobody else got a hundred. So like she said that statement, it's never lost. I'm like, so I work so hard. And just because the other kids didn't do as good. Now you want to lower my hard work. And right then I was just like, it just has always stuck with me. And like, that's what's wrong with the freaking world. One of the many things, but I think that that's a big thing. I don't know. Did you, I don't know why this is coming into my head right now, but did you ever see the movie, The Incredibles? The yeah. Guy, yeah. And he's like, he tries to make himself this ordinary kid have these superpowers. And he says, when everybody's special, then no one is, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally. He was the villain, but here we are. We're living that out. Yes. And if everybody has the same amount of money with socialism, then nobody's rich and nobody's poor and everything's going to be equal and everything is going to be great. But I think that the truth is um, this, this is the attempted destruction of our society, Yeah. It's funny you said about socialism. I actually just read um, something this morning um, that said, and it was so perfectly stated. It's like, you know, people in a free country want to talk about socialism, but try to go to a socialist country and talk about freedom there and see what happens. And the thing is, it's not so people think socialism is everybody's going to be equal as the quote rich. No, everybody's going to be equally poor and the ultra rich, like the Bezos is, you know, Bill Gates, they're going to become more wealthy and you're going to become broke. You know, it's spreading poverty evenly is what it is. And that's such a misinterpretation. That's exactly right. That is, that is the statement of the, of this interview. Um, what you just said, it's it's going to be poverty. And, And as entrepreneurs, I feel like we have an obligation to encourage and help, um, as many people, women, if that's your goal, but people as possible, to, to, to um, take that leap of faith, to attempt to start their own thing and then yeah. support the small businesses. Because if we lose this, um, mm-hmm. it's going to be gone for, for our future. Yeah. For our yeah, kids, and it's, their yeah. kids. And we need to speak up, not just, you know, and that, yeah, getting people to organize do their own thing. And a lot of people, you know, obviously with all of the COVID talks and the vaccine mandates and things like that, that some people are putting in place, people are losing their jobs, getting laid off you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, the important thing is, is that 
you know, I feel like the people that have been speaking out have been speaking out and they're trying to, you know, quote, wake everybody up, you know, but the fact is that some people don't want to be woke up. They like, you know, being the headline hero or just reading the headlines or an article partway through and not actually diving into the actual data and the actual reports. But the thing is that I am personally at a point where I'm just, just mentally and emotionally exhausted from trying to share and educate with people. Like, you know, when I, posted something the other day about the FDA whenever they had their eight hour symposium that I um, watched on uh, the 17th, I shared something um, a couple days after that. And it was with that stats and I got blown up by people that had not seen it and telling me that I am so irresponsible for sharing this and blah, blah. They didn't even know that symposium happened. And I said, this is all actual numbers and data and quotes from the FDA on their YouTube. You can go, it's public knowledge and doctors on there. And I'm sharing that. And guess what? After I shared the link with them, I said, timestamp, four hour, 21 minutes is when this was set. And I gave them the timestamps. I didn't get one single reply back from those people because they had no idea that even existed. So therefore, I am so irritated that no one is even keeping an open mind. So instead of like, okay, you know what? You want to be a sheep, be a sheep. I can't fucking wake you up. Let's just wake the fucking lions up and get them roaring and then get these people to come together because it's going to take the people that are standing up and ready to step out. And, you know, they're, they're not worried about people. It's such bullshit that pe- I'm getting so like fired up. Just talking about this. It's just such bullshit. People are afraid to even speak out that agree, you know, with like, yeah, this is crap. We need to let people, and I'm not anti or pro. The thing is I'm, I'm pro choice. I am pro freedom. You make your own choice, do what you want. And you know what, if, you know, I don't know what the you know demographic or anything of your podcast is, but the thing is, is that if you, want a mask to protect you. And if they work, then why are you hustling me that I'm not wearing one? If you're wearing one to protect you, like, does not the logic is not there. And so it's, I, I can't, you can't educate those people. They don't want to be that, or they're holding on to their egos. You know, Andy, I was talking about that. It's like, they're so held strong in what they first believed that even though maybe in their heart, they know that this isn't right anymore, but they're, they don't want to be wrong. It's like, this is a time where you just say, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't know there was this much data out there or these other sites, or I didn't know that certain um, companies are, you know, they're funding these studies and that's why they're coming out. Look, you pay for a study, you're going to get whatever results you want. I could say that, you know, plain water has carbonation in it and people would argue me, but if I pay some company, you know, to write it, they're going to write about it and it's going to come quote true, you know, there just needs to be more education and more due diligence on everyone's part to research for this because, we're in very dangerous territory and thin ice right now. And it is about banding together, whether it's yeah, supporting each other's small businesses, speaking out on others' behalf. Don't be afraid of losing your freaking Instagram followers. You know, like you don't want those people anyway. You know, if they're not open-minded enough or, you know, they feel the need to come in and troll you, don't see the trolls. Just say, okay, and let them go. You know what I mean? Or like set them the facts and that's it. Yeah. Or let them find the facts on their own. They won't though. That's the thing is they're not, they're, they're not willing. That's the thing is, well, I keep a notepad in my phone. I have links to everything. Uh, and so I usually, I'm kind of like the, I want you to drink from a fire hose. If you're coming at me and be like, no, look, here it is. You know what I mean? Cause the thing mm-hmm. is you, they, they are, they're not going to want to, they don't want to find the facts out. So it's, a, it's really similar to what you did when you were 20 and you didn't want to ask for help because you didn't want to admit that you made a yeah. mistake or that you were wrong. But the truth is, and everybody needs to hear this really clearly, and I'm going to say it all the time, is that the people on this side of the fence 
are mm-hmm. not going to mock you or make fun of you or tell you, fuck you, you didn't listen to us from the beginning. We're going right. to say, I'm glad you're awake. I'm glad you're not woke. I'm glad you're right. awake. Come right. join us. We're going to yes. accept you. We're not going to shame you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going to be glad that you finally really woke up. Exactly. So it's okay to say you made a mistake. It's okay Absolutely. to say I was purposefully deceived because <clears throat> You know, the information that's out there and the majority of the news um, on television is purposefully misleading you, purposefully not telling you that the that who the World Health Organization and the NIH completely changed their stance on ivermectin. Mm -hmm. Right. And hydroxychloroquine. And they fucking approved it. And yet hospitals are still not giving it. Right. When it yep. can save and, people's lives. And when you try to post something on social media, those fucktards mm-hmm. on Facebook and Instagram, these quote unquote fact checkers shut you down. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all the censorship. And the thing is, is that, you know, uh, people that share that, what I started, uh, shared about the, me sharing the FDA story the other day, I had people that were share, resharing that. And they were like, this got deleted and taken down. They said, they're going to delete my account. You're putting out actual public information that the FDA themselves released, and that is being hidden from you. The thing is, is if you're if things are becoming hidden from you, that's very indicative that that is actual truth. And these quote fact checkers, they don't. If you see that, if you ever read the things about like who the actual fact checkers are, they actually have no medical background, nothing at all. It's just they look for they search. It's an algorithm searching for keywords, and they boot you off. The thing is, the fact that this stuff is being hidden from you is saying, hey, you know what? We don't want you to have the option to make a choice. We want this to be so ingrained in your mind because they know Instagram, I believe, is like the third or fourth most used app. And the thing, they know there's such heavy traffic on there. And that is where they're finding people at because people may not be watching the news or people don't know there's a difference between CNN and Fox News. They don't understand that. But they go to Instagram and they say, oh, my friend posted this. It must be true. Well, that's where you need to really evaluate it and say, you know what? I need to take in all of the information that I see and go from there. However, you know, it is purposely misleading. Like you said, it is trying to keep people under, you know, a blanket. But history does repeat itself. And why do you think they're trying so hard to delete history? So you don't know what the hell is going on and you don't know what's coming. You know, it's, it's, it's a cyclical thing. You know, every, you know, 80 years this is happening, you know, actually 60 to 80 years, this type of thing happens. So the work that you're doing um, mm-hmm. on, on the podcast that you work on, on the women in business, on coming on this show, <clears throat> it means something. Mm-hmm. And you influence people. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing. So I commend you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it greatly. And the thing is, if anybody listens to this and they're not, you know, agreeing or they do you know, have their own take on that's totally fine. The thing is that we need to have less debate and more dialogue because we've seemed to have lost the art of conversation through hiding behind our, our, uh, you know, internet keyboards and, you know, behind our phones and screens and all that kind of stuff that we lost the ability to have dialogue. You know, I've met some great people through this that we don't agree on what's going on. However, we can have an adult conversation about it and point out different sides of things and different articles that we found and things like that to where they send me articles and I can see how people truly believe this and see this. And that's the whole plan. So for people to admit that, you know what, I was wrong. I was, like you said, purposely misled. 
that was their plan. So you're not stupid. You, that's just what they were feeding you, you know? So that's the thing is it's look at the data, look what's happening. You know, how do things, things aren't adding up yet. Kids are being strapped with a mask on their face, but yet the Emmys and the Met Gala, every, nobody has a mask on. They're talking face to face. Like these are, these are the little cues that people aren't catching on to. Like, well, why is it okay for this? But yet kids have to have this, you know, it's, it's really opening your eyes to every single element that's going on. I can't understand why people aren't looking at what's happening in Israel and saying, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Israel is the country where I think- 90% of vaccination rates and there's 150% higher deaths. It is absolutely crazy. And I believe it's uh, was it? 53% more of the enlarged, like with the heart issues and things like that. So yeah, Israel is, how is the highest vaccinated country, the one that has the most deaths and reinfections of COVID and things such as that? That's what I was going to say is that they have more um, people spiking with second mm-hmm. and third contracting the, the virus, you know, second and third times after vaccination after the second booster, after the third booster. I mean, this is a fucking unbelievable moneymaker for these right. companies. Well, and what's How so many wrong boosters is- have you ever gotten for the flu shot? Right, exactly. And that's or- the thing is that people don't understand that this is our mRNA. This is not an actual vaccine. This is an mRNA. This is gene therapy. So with this, that's, that's the difference in this. And I'm going to have to go here shortly, but, (laughs) but I, like, I just lost track of time. I just looked, I was like, Oh no. But, um, with, with that though, is like you, these viruses constantly evolve. That's why every year there's a different flu shot. That's what, you know, cause they, they make this strain to this, but they're not actually even logging the vaccinated deaths. And if you die within 14 days of your second shot or less than 14 days, it's your second shot. They're not, they're calling it with COVID. They're not saying that you're there. You're considered unvaccinated. So if I get a, if I get a shot and then start having issues and I get my second shot and it's within, you know, if, it, if I die on the 10th day after that, I'm considered unvaccinated. So these are the way they're camouflaging these numbers to instill more fear in you to try to push this. And the fact is when you're incentivized, bribed, you know, you get money for it. You get, you get to keep your job for it. You get to go out in public. Give it. The fact that we have these incentivized things over this vaccine should be the scariest part of all, because when was the last time you saw so many professional sports teams or commercials or anybody pushing to go with the flu shot or to get the chicken pox shot, or whatever, or measles, whatever. When have you ever seen that? That's, that's not a thing. And so the fact that there's so much marketing around this is what makes it very alarming and very disturbing. Hugely disturbing. Yeah. Where can people find you? Tell um, me where they can go to find you and yeah. follow you and grab your cookbooks and all of sure, it. Sure. Yeah. The quickest way or the easiest way is actually just go to at Emily for sell on Instagram. You can click the link in my bio and find everything else from there. Okay. Thanks for yeah. carving out the time. It was. Really oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. I'm glad it worked out. We I'm glad I get to meet you in person out. this weekend. Yes. Yes. I'll it was so great. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Have a safe flight. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again. Me too. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. For more information on the Direct AF Sales book or custom dice course or workbook, go on over to directafsales.com. There's going to be a discount code for all the listeners there. It's code directaf20 and grab yours today. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please leave me a review. Make sure you subscribe. And even better, share it with a friend so that we can share our 
message and our content and help as many people as we can. Thanks, guys.